Good morning. We welcome you to the services of the Boonville Church of Christ. I know we have several visitors today and you're our honored guest. If you're uh, joining us on social media, we welcome you as well. There's a friendship register on each pew. We would love to get a record of everyone's attendance. Would you uh, take that friendship register and sign in and just pass it down the row? More than that, we'd like for you to stay around and let us get to know you better. It has uh, been a fantastic week, especially when you think of what's going on at Maywood this week. It was a real revival at Maywood. I understand there were 19 baptisms and 27 restorations. Isn't that fantastic? And we have at least five new members of this congregation. Julia Berry, Ava Elliott, Sarah Kate English, Cooper Farr, and Bennett Gino. And we welcome all of you into the fellowship of this congregation. Today is also a significant day in that all the contribution, this being a fifth Sunday, will go to capital improvement. Brother Ken did a fantastic job of letting us know we need to take care of the little things last week, and so I hope you have planned for that. If you've got your worship bulletin, there are two changes to those that are listed. Brother Will Ramsey will be reading our scripture, and Brother Drew Bruce will have our announcements and closing prayer. Would you bow with me, please, as we begin our worship service? Our loving Heavenly Father, we praise Thee. We know that Thou art holy. We know that You're all-powerful and all-loving. And we're so thankful for the plans that You have made for Your family. We pray that our worship today would be pleasing in Your sight. We love You, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First song this morning, number 794. Saucy.
prayer this morning, number 452. <clears throat> Precious Heavenly Father, we come for thee today for a new throne of grace and loving and mindfulness. We pray, Father, for the sick, the afflicted, especially those that are spiritually sick, in our fold and outside our fold. Father, we pray for the little children of this world, especially those without parents. We pray for the orphans. Father, we ask forgiveness of our many sins, for we know you sent your son to die for our sins and that he didn't have to do so. And we are thankful, Father, that we are here this morning. We pray for our sins mostly, and we hope and pray that if there be anyone within our fold that has not responded, that they would do so before it is everlasting too late. Father, Give Brother Ken a ready recollection of the things he's bringing before us this morning. Be with him and his family as they strive and labor here with us. For all this is I ask in Christ's holy name. Amen. If you'd like to mark the invitation, Psalm be number 911. Psalm before our scripture reading this morning, number 429. 429. Oh, to be like the
Good morning. We'll be reading from 3 John, verse 11. If you'll turn with me, please. 3 John, verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Good morning, everyone. When I walked in this morning, some of you looked at me like you were surprised I would even be here. <laughs> and it was like, surprisingly, some of you would look me up and down and said, well, looks like you're in one piece. As though maybe I wouldn't be in one piece. And there are others of you who as adults, went with me to camp. And I, we just kind of look knowingly at one another. Don't really have to say anything. We're all kind of in the same place today. And my students, especially those who are in my cabin, are hardly making any eye contact with me today. <laughs> but listen, I want to tell you something. I, I, had one, I had one camper in particular that felt like I called them out last week when I was talking about the potential for camp. And I hope I resolve that with that person. But I just want to say this, that as pertains to my particular cabin, that those young men who were in there just really represented themselves and their families so very well. I had heard all kinds of horror stories about those 11 and 12 year olds, but just let me tell you something. They were a joy and a pleasure to be with for a week. Now, I can't say that I was on my normal sleeping routine, but I had packed these little blinders. Actually, they were for a game that I was doing that week, but I did that game early in the week to get those things unpacked, and I could just cover my eyes, and they could keep those lights on all night long if they wanted to. Some of you said, so how was the weather? Was it hot? Now, this was a setup question because then I would go, yeah, it was awfully hot. They said, now, y'all had air conditioning in your cabins, didn't you? I said, yes. So, well, now, back when we went to camp, <laughs> you know, it was just as hot, but no air conditioning piece. That's all I can say to you. It is a relative condition. And here we are in our time. We are not conditioned to the olden days. <laughs> so it is a challenge no matter uh, what season you're in uh, to be in camp and to be strained with your sleep and to be on a schedule that you're not accustomed to and going up and down, up and down hills and just doing things you're not accustomed to. So you announced our new children in Christ, and I, you know, I, I, I am emotional, I guess, because I'm, I'm tired from the week and so forth, but it is a glorious thing to see the birth of a child of God. But when those are your own, it just makes it that more precious. And so we welcome those who have obeyed the gospel into this family, uh, they're ours, and we just embrace that. 
and so many others were restored. Their, their faith had been weakened through struggles in their lives, and they have returned to the Lord. And so you, you can understand that in the midst of what is a, a physically difficult setting, that spiritually, for an entire week, you, you are just soaring. You, you really are. And I'm hoping that those who were participating uh, in camp this past week, that there is going to be an overlap, that what you experienced is just going to leak into our time together here as a church family. And I know that I'm there. I'm still so grateful to God. And as much as you see baptisms happening and these uh, restorations of faith Still, there is so much more the emboldening of people's faith and the learning of new things or the application of things that we have known for a while, perhaps in new ways, or challenges that have been set forth and have been engaged in the opportunities that have been set before all of us and we have grasped them and even when it seemed like those opportunities were bigger than we were, we prayed that God would help us and we could latch on to that and take advantage of what God had put in our hands. And I could just go on and on about the experience of camp. You may think I'm silly, but I'm telling you that Bible camp at Maywood is not just a place where you send your kids for a week to get them out of your hair or to get them a good experience. I believe now even more than I believed it last week when I told you that this was true. I believe that Maywood Bible Camp is most definitely a mission field. And every person who is a child of God that participates, e even as a camper or a counselor or those who are working in the kitchen or providing the, the games, everybody who is participating is working to one degree or another to the building up of the souls of young people. And it is a marvelous thing to behold. So I just want to say for my part, thank you to the congregation for making it possible for just, for, for my part, for me being able to attend to that. And I'm sure that that could be voiced many times over for all of those who participated. You know that the majority of those adults who were there were not like me, not employed by the church and just, you know, given the opportunity to go to camp. Most of those adults who were there had taken vacation time in order to go and spend that time of encouragement and the building up of young people. So I, for one, am grateful. And aren't you too? Today, I am thankful that this congregation focuses itself upon the needs, the, the literal, actual, physical needs of the congregation. I'm talking about the facilities themselves of how we can take care. And as Jim stated last Sunday, I presented a lesson that dealt with that very thing. The, in, in, God's, in God's eye, these are nothing but uh, symbols of unrighteous mammon. But 
He's put them in our hands to see how we're going to use them, how we would care for them. So you've been thinking about that for a week. You have purposed in your heart what it is that you can do to contribute to that. So I'm not going to say any more about that today. I'm going to trust that your heart is in the right place and that the needs that were laid out for you are going to be satisfied. Today, we're going to deal with this very challenging statement that comes from the short letter that we call 3 John. It is simply verse 11 because there's only one chapter, if you want to call it that. It's just the whole letter, not subdivided into chapters. So we're going to deal with following the example of others, of imitating the life of another person and the important choice that we're making of who it is that we will imitate. Before we start that, I want us to pray. And we want to thank God, of course, for the marvelous way that he moved around that camp this week. And for the aftermath, we hope to reap great further rewards from that. But also, we're praying for this time where we're together and we are studying. This is, this is not just a regular study session. This is a time when we are worshiping God as one mind, one spirit, one, one heart, one soul. So we're going to pray that God will bless us in that endeavor. So please bow with me. Our Father, thank you for this occasion. The time where we're setting aside other thoughts that might normally occupy our minds and we're thinking about you, thinking about how you've expressed yourself in your word. And I pray, Father, that these words will fall on our hearts that are ready to hear it. I pray, Lord, we prepared ourselves for wherever in this building that we would receive what you are offering through the expressions of these words and that we in turn will offer it as a, an acceptable sacrifice. We have heard words that are a means for rejoicing in our hearts, the salvation of souls, the restoration of those who have been weak and struggled, and the empowerment of so many through the lessons and the activities that have built up faith. And Father, we pray that those things will continue, that we will continue to grow and strive and grasp opportunities that you place before us. But just for ourselves, we pray, Father, that you will help us to be an encouragement to those who have committed themselves to your service and that we will serve right alongside them, uh, mentoring them and helping them to grow. We ask, Father, that you will be with us in this moment as we are studying from your word and we pray that we will imitate what is good and not what is evil. Help us, Father, that we commit ourselves to you. Help me to say the words that I prepared in such a way as to present them in a meaningful fashion so that people can accept what it is that you have said, not, not as I am saying, but as you have said it. And then be with their hearts, help them to receive the message as you intend for them to receive it and that it will touch them in the way that you expect them to be touched. And then in the end, I pray you will give us all the courage to respond in a way that pleases you, whether that's in action or repentance. 
Lord, I pray that you will bless this short time that we have together to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who's the person that is imitating what is evil is not of God. He's the person who's imitating what is good. He's the one who is with God. In this text, he says, if you're an imitator of what is evil, you haven't even seen God. That's a challenging thought. Imitate what's good and not what is evil. In the book of Ezekiel, of all places, in Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 44, this, this is actually God speaking. But God says, as pertains to those who quote the Proverbs, he says, they will say this proverb to you. Like mother, like daughter. Or, verse 45, you are your mother's daughter. You've probably heard that saying, didn't realize that in some form or fashion of those statements that they came actually from Ezekiel. Ezekiel says, hey, this is a proverb that many people quote and they throw out there, but it is absolutely true. Some people influence us. The example here is of a parent to a child, a mother to the daughter, the father to the son, like father, like son. We understand that colloquial expression. It is so common. He's just like his dad. He's, she is just like her mother. The influence of one life on another life is so powerful. And sometimes we might just kind of you know, back away from that or, or try to, try to uh, deflect it. Like, no, no, I'm nothing like them. But the proof is in the pudding. People say those things even in jest because to a large degree, it is absolutely true. There is something about you that reminds us of that person that had the greatest influence on your life. You can't help it. They just, they just rubbed off on you. The Apostle Paul states it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33. He says, evil company corrupts good habits. I may think that I've got it all together. I'm a great servant of God. I'm headed in a good direction. I'm fine. I'm going to win over these people who otherwise had been a bad influence on me, but... He said, you know what, you basically, and this isn't always true, but basically speaking, the kind of people, the company that you keep, those people and their behaviors, the way that they think, those things are going to rub off on you. Evil company corrupts good habits. But then the flip side of that would be, well, okay, as much as evil company might corrupt our habits, what about good company? You know, if I keep good company, wouldn't it also be true that if I'm with good people, they'll rub off on me in a positive way? And the answer would be absolutely yes, yes. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, very famously, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. 
So, so Paul says, in the manner in which you see me following in the footsteps of Jesus, because I want Jesus rubbing off on me. I want his company in my life as much as you see that happening in me as it's exhibited in the life that I'm living, my walk. Then as much as that is true, you imitate those things that you see in me as I've been influenced by Jesus. Now that brings us back to this short little writing in 3 John. Do not be imitators of what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God. He who does evil has not seen God. That is set within the description of two different people that would have been significant in the life of the person to whom this short letter was addressed, Gaius. John is writing this short letter to his brother in Christ, Gaius, because there are two people in his life currently who have the potential to influence him. One is by the name of Demetrius, who is so good. And the other is one of the most prominent members of the congregation, and that is Diotrephes, who is being characterized in this text anyway as evil. Gaius had to make a choice in his life as to who it is he was going to set his sights on. Who is it that I will imitate? Now, you, you understand our, our ultimate goal is to imitate Jesus Christ. I want to be like Jesus. But practically speaking, when we bring it down to the actual living of our lives, it, it isn't like we're just constantly keeping in mind, how, how is Jesus? How is Jesus? How, am I doing this? Am I doing that? It's not like that. We intermingle with people. We, we rub off on people and they rub off on us. And the question is, who is it I'm spending my time with? Because the people that I spend most of my time with, the people that I look up to, are the ones who are going to impact me the most. So my mind is carried back to what Paul had encouraged us to do. You imitate me so much as it is true that I am imitating Christ. Gaius, I want you to imitate the one who is going to make the most impact in your life for good. The one in your life who is himself emulating or following, who is imitating Jesus. Today, what I want us to do in short fashion is to look at the case of Demetrius, the fellow who's in this text that John identifies as being most Christ-like, the one who has the good, the one who ought to be imitated. You follow after Demetrius because, in the first case, Demetrius had a good reputation. We find that out actually in the very next verse of our text, verse 12. The text says that actually he had a good testimony, a good testimony. That simply means that other people who were in Demetrius's life, those people that rubbed elbows with him, those who were within his circle of influence, well, they recognized he was a good person. I mean, you could ask any one of them, tell me something about Demetrius. And every single one of them to the man would say, he is, he is a good man. There was that good testimony concerning Demetrius. I think about something that Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 1. 
that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Now, I think that's, I think that's interesting coming from Solomon's mouth because Solomon was that man, you remember, who was given the opportunity to ask for anything of God. And he could have asked for, as is implied here in this text, for riches or for fame or for anything that typically we would ask for in the hungering of the flesh. You know, I just want stuff. And God gave him that opportunity. But, but instead of asking for those very temporary things, Solomon asked for wisdom to be able to rule and to judge God's people. And so in response to that then, God said, yeah, I'm going to give you wisdom, but since you didn't ask for it, I'm going to go ahead and give you all these other things. That's similar to what Solomon is saying right here. He says, you know what, if you will aspire for a good name, if that's the thing you will do, Instead of seeking after riches, then probably the import of that will be, you know what, seeking that good name is going to benefit you way more than the piling up of those riches. In fact, many times people amass those riches because they mistreat other people. They, they, they abuse them or they cheat them in some way. And in the end, all they have are their riches with no friends. He says, what you ought to rather aspire for is a good name. Uh, be like Demetrius in the fact that people look at him and say, that, that is a good guy. I just, you know what? I just want to be around him because when I'm with him, it makes me feel like a good person too. In Acts chapter six, there are several men there who are being considered as Sometimes we think of them as deacons. They're not actually referred to that way in this text, but certainly the work that they do as servants of God reflect that very mindset. Here are some men who are going to be responsible for taking care of the Grecian widows. But what is said of them in verse three is pretty interesting. It says that they were of good report. That's very similar, isn't it, to the idea of a good testimony. In other words, if you were to take a survey, most people would say, look, I know this guy and hey, he's fair. I'm pretty sure that if you put him in this responsibility, he's going to take care of it. You don't have to worry about him fulfilling his responsibility. He's just, again, he's just a good guy. Or to be more to the point is a statement that's made about Barnabas in Acts chapter 11, verse 24. He was actually given the responsibility to go now and to seek out Saul of Tarsus, Paul. And it says that of Barnabas, the many things we could say about him, that he was simply, he was a good man. He was just, he was just good. When it comes to the highest office that we have in the Lord's church, that of the position of a bishop or an elder, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the very last thing, verse 7, that that person is to have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. In other words, here's somebody who, not only those of us who 
are among the children of God, but those who are on the outside, those maybe who don't even know God, their interaction with that man is that, you know what? They may not even agree with the things that he stands for. He may be truly a burr in their side. He may be a source of agitation in their life. But, but one thing they can always say is that as much as they don't agree with him or maybe don't even like him, one thing that they would always be able to say is, you know, aside from all of that, I, I really think he's a good man. I still... I still respect him for the person that he is. He is a true person. And in our respect, we would rejoice because he is faithful to the call of God. As pertained to those men who were in Acts chapter 6, those men were chosen as, as good men of good reputation, of good character because they generally cared about people. They were honest in their dealings and they had compassion for others. A general way to express that, I guess, would be 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3, kind of in keeping with John. John said, for this is the love of God that, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, now, my point here is that this person has the heart that says, you know, I, first, yeah, I love others, but I love God. And so in loving God, I've committed myself to doing what God has commanded me to do. And in doing that, I find that my heart is set such that I realize that what God has commanded me to do is the right thing. And that it is going to make life better and it's going to make it possible for me to deal with people who are on the outside. And so when God commands this or that, it is not a burden to me. I take it on gladly and such that not only could we say of Barnabas, Acts chapter 11, verse 24, that he was a good man. But if you back up one verse, you find out that he very much embodied the nickname Barnabas that he had been given. And that is that he was just, he was just an encourager of other people. It was just in his nature as a child of God to look for some way to build another person up. And my experience with people like that, and you know a lot of them, I'm sure, is that not only do they seek to do good, but it's like they don't let anything get in the way of discouraging them from doing good. They're the embodiment, spiritually, of Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. You know what emboldens me the most? When I'm ready to give up and I look over to my side this way or that way and I see somebody who is still digging in, what does that make us want to do? We just become reinvigorated, don't we? We just feel revived and we want to take it up and push that much harder. Demetrius was that kind of person, a person with a good reputation. But Demetrius was also a man who had a, a good, a solid foundation. 
Here's something else that is said of him in verse 12 that I think is significant. Not only was he a person with this great reputation, but the text says that the truth testified of him. The truth testified of him. Wow. The idea is, okay, here is the truth. And Demetrius, as a servant of God, as a child of God, is so in tune with the truth. It is as though he is a representative of the truth. The truth, if we can personify it, kind of stands back here and looks at Demetrius and is like, yes, yes, Demetrius, you've got it. You are me. You know, you, you are the very embodiment of the truth. When you go out there, when people see you, they are seeing the truth just walking right down the street. Now, this is significant to say about Demetrius to Gaius, because if you go back to verse 3 of this text, you'll find out that John says Gaius is exactly the same way. Gaius is a man of truth, too. So I can only, can only imagine John writing this letter feeling a little bit challenged. Like, I know you, Gaius, and you, you are one with the truth. I know the heart that you have. I know the spirit that you have. But I also know the environment that you are in. And there, and there are two people in that congregation of which you are a part that I know potentially have influence over your life. And boy, I would hate to see that day when you didn't take advantage of someone who was just like you right there in that congregation. And maybe because of the goodness of their heart, they don't stand out that much. So I actually have to identify them to you. But that one who stands out, he's the one that's getting your attention and it just breaks my heart. Why is it so important to hold on to that truth? Because the power that is in that truth, to personify that, John chapter 8 and verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You know, just to know Demetrius, Gaius, if you know this guy, you know that he's the very personification of that truth. If you just hang with him, it just exudes it. You're going to feel free. All those burdens are going to be gone. He's going to have a powerful influence on you. Or, you know, John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So here's somebody like Demetrius, just the walking embodiment of the truth, which is then in turn a representation of the holiness of God. If you could just connect with him, wow, how good it would be. Your life would be so blessed and think you already beginning in this good place, being influenced by this good man, the sky's the limit for you. But I also know, as well as you do, that as much as we know good people around us, there's so much tugging us in the other direction. I, I want to use the example that uh, personally, you may not agree with me, but personally, I think that this is the most ironic conversation and setting that there is in the whole Bible. It's found in John chapter 18 and verse 38. 
This is Jesus who has already declared, yeah, you say that I'm the king. I am the king and I'm speaking the truth. And now he's right here in the presence of Pilate who is about to pass judgment on Jesus. So he's heard all this business about Jesus being the truth. Jesus is standing right here. Here's Pilate. Just in my mind's eye, they are face to face. Here's what's ironic about this. Jesus, the Son of God, eternal truth, eternal truth past, eternal truth future, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus, the Son of God, the Word of God, the embodiment of absolute divine truth standing before Pilate. And what does Pilate ask? What is truth? You know what I see right there? I see our society. <laughs> I, I do. Truth? Here. here. Here's truth. And the world is like, huh? Where? Where's, where's some truth? I don't see any truth. Just talking about us, our realm of influence, what it is we're trying to achieve. We talk about the church. Wait, what? Uh, how, can, how, how can you know that there's only one church of the Bible? How, how can you know Jesus died for the one church? You say, here, here are the scriptures. You know, here, here's what the Bible, that's your interpretation or that's, that's your truth. Wait, this is, you know, this is the divine truth. It's like Pilate looking at Jesus. What? You say, well, now, here's what the Bible says about worship. But the response is, well, you know, worship, that depends on me. I, I, my ability to express, that, that is a subjective thing. You point to the scriptures, say, here is the objective truth. It is like we stand as though we were Jesus looking at Pilate who is dumbfounded. He is looking directly at truth and he's like, what is it? Does, does the truth matter? Does it make any difference? I would start with a, a, just a simple thing, like what Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, right? So many who, who profess a love for Jesus and yet come up with this subjective view about truth, Jesus says it pretty emphatically. If you love me, keep my commandments. That, that's pretty simple. Or we looked at it a moment ago from John chapter 8, verse 32. You shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. Question, you want to be free? <laughs> yeah. Well, then it's going to come through the objective one truth. But it is not subjective in that we have many ways to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Through what about you? Well, through my commandments. You love me? Yes, I do. Then it is not a subjective entrance into a relationship with the Lord. It is very specific. 
There is an expectation of things because they represent elements in our transformation process of faith and obedience to the gospel, transformed by the blood of Jesus in baptism. Those are not subjective things. They're very objective. There is an absolute truth regarding our salvation. Or, I don't know, I think about Psalm 119, verse 105. You know, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I just don't go wandering around aimlessly or blindly trying to find my way. God has illuminated the right path. We can know that truth. We don't have to look dumbfounded into the face of Jesus like Pilate did. What is it when I'm seeing divine truth staring right back at me? In Psalm number one, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Well, where should I put my attention? You know what? Should should I go to um, Books a Million and go to the self-help section? Is that what will help to clarify my spirituality? No. How about the simple word of God? It is authoritative. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's very objective, not subjective. It is not up to the whims and the dictates of men. It is by a thus saith the Lord. And so it is true that we are warned, even here in this series of books, the first of those letters that John wrote, in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, John says, he says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Is what is born out of this subjective mind a reflection of the godly divine mind? And the answer would be no. If we're going to end with the goodness of God, then we have to begin with the goodness of God. And that goodness, John was saying with regard to Demetrius and was hopeful to continue to grow in Gaius was the goodness that had already been established in them because of the testimony of the truth that was in them. That Demetrius, he had a good foundation. But Demetrius also had a good representation or a recommendation. And that recommendation was coming from 
the apostle John himself. And John's idea was what we need to do is to hook up the good with the good. Those are going to complement each other. And you, Gaius, with Demetrius, you are going to turn this church around. Problem was, don't be so influenced by Diotrephes, who sees himself as the great leader of this church, maybe the sole leader of this congregation. In verses 9 and 10, John goes so far as to describe those elements in which resided the evil nature that he was trying to highlight in this text. He says, let me say some things about Diotrephes. He loves to have the preeminence. The word preeminence means to be first, to be the alpha in this body. I'm, I'm the boss here. Everybody listen to me. I'm in charge. John says, he's only thinking of himself. In fact, he does so much think of himself and his quote-unquote preeminence that he doesn't even accept us apostles. He goes around with prating words, literally with false or crazy statements. He just makes up stuff about us to put us in a bad light. He says not only the apostles, but he also rejects the brethren, maybe from other places who are coming in. And when they do, they they see his actions and they have objections. He kicks them right out. In fact, he says, if you don't fall into line, if you're not stepping in place, then he will even cast you out of the church. What an attitude. In 1 Peter chapter 2, In verse 17, though, going along with the line of John's hope for Gaius and of the person that Demetrius was, 1 Peter 2, verse 17 says, and I'm just looking at this little phrase in that text. It says, honor all people. The word honor there means to value them. When you, when you look at these good people in your life, don't just lump them all together with everybody else. He says, honor them. Give them in your mind the value that they are due. Esteem them. You know when it is that we most often honor esteem or value a person? Yeah, that's right. At their funeral. (laughs) At their funeral. So they've lived this long, glorious life. We say, as John was saying, he, she, they were so good. And for about 30 minutes including some songs. We try to take what was that goodness of their life and funnel it down into a few short statements and move on with our day. 
You think that's what he means when he says to honor all people, to value them? I've heard people say with regard to the, the flowers and the arrangements, they say, you know, give me the flowers while I'm living, right? Don't waste them at my funeral. Give them to me. What? I, I was thinking the same thing about the honor, the value. Wouldn't it be beautiful? As John was doing here with regard to Demetrius, wouldn't it be wonderful if we highlighted among the body people that we ought to be imitating? Not leave that to chance. Give honor to all people. Like I, I think off the top of my head how much I would encourage people to imitate sacrificial elders in the congregation. Wouldn't that be worthy of imitation? Or what about those diligent deacons who go about their work very quietly without any recognition hardly at all? Wouldn't that be worthy of imitation? What about those husbands and wives who have remained faithful to one another? Some of you have been married 50, 60. I've heard of couples being married over 70 years. Isn't that worthy of imitation? Some of you have been Bible class teachers. You've been Bible class teachers for so long, you just kind of guess how long it was before you ever even got a break, you think, well, I've been teaching. Let me see. Oh, it's probably somewhere around 30 years. Aren't those kind of people worthy of imitation? I went to Bible camp for a week and I saw young people put on Jesus Christ in baptism. I saw young people in tears come forward asking for prayers in repentance. Aren't those kinds of young hearts worthy of imitation? What about our senior saints? Those people who have been through a lot. And yet here they are. And you remember when I was talking about being good and getting to the end of our rope and then we just kind of glance over and see somebody else struggling and pulling even harder and it emboldens us, that's who I'm talking about. Because those folks who are nearest to the goal are going to do whatever it takes to finish. Ought we not imitate those lives as well? So I'm wondering, as maybe you're wondering, what about me? Who am I? Is my life worthy of imitation? As you sit there right now contemplating that question, let me ask, do you hope that your children follow in your footsteps? Do you hope that they grow up to be just like you? Or are you constantly praying to God that they'll make different choices? Or what about your spouse? Are you worthy of imitation in your marriage? 
If they follow in your footsteps, are they going to heaven? Are you in the life that you're living right now worthy of imitation? Are you, are you letting your light shine? Jesus said, you are the light of the world. <laughs> the city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. It gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Are you letting your light shine, or have you let something put the light out? Do not be imitators of what, of what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. If today you conclude that your life is not worthy of imitation, it doesn't mean that it has to stay that way. Today can be the day where you change direction. You make a commitment to pursue the good. We're a supportive congregation. We'll be right there with you. But you have to make the decision that today's the day. Let's pray about that, okay? Let's get that out of the way and let's let our light shine. If you're a child of God and that's the situation, then I'm hoping you'll respond today. If you're not a child of God, today's the day you can have your sins washed away. You'll rise up a new creature free from the burden of sin and death. In fact, now you're living for eternal life. And I'll tell you that, that is worthy of imitation. If there's anybody who needs to respond today, now's your opportunity. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand and sing this song together. Bring Christ your broken
unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my Minds for the Lord's Supper, number 350. In my
like to ask you if you would like to read along with me. I'll be reading from the book of Isaiah this morning, chapter 53, and I'll be reading verses 4 through 8 uh, to prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper. Uh, this is a passage from Isaiah prophesied about Christ's death, and this is about 700 years uh, before his death. Uh, but before I read, if you need uh, some of the communion supplies, would you please raise your hand so they can get them distributed to you. Isaiah 53, chapter 53, verses 4 through 8. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses, and he carried our pains, and we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted, but he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. When all went astray like sheep, we all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment, and who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, we humbly approach your throne today in remembrance of your son. As we focus our thoughts on his sacrifice for us and all the things he went through as part of that sacrifice, we're mindful of his body and the abuse and torture his body endured as he took our place in crucifixion. As we partake of this bread, which represents his body, we examine ourselves and our own lives, and we pray that we are partaking in a worthy manner. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray for the cup. Father in heaven, God, we approach you again to give thanks for this cup. We pray that we will be mindful of the blood which it represents and focus our minds on that blood which Jesus shed as he took our place on the cross. We pray that we will remember this sacrifice as we go throughout our week and that it will be in the front of our minds with each decision we make. Again, we pray that we are partaking in a manner that's pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this day and all the many wonderful blessings that You will bless us with. And Father, we thank Thee that we live in a country where we can work and support our families and help the church. And we also thank Thee that we can come and worship Thee each, day, each Sunday in, in spirit and in truth. And let us now examine ourselves and give back a portion of our means so that we may can continue to support the congregation in all its needs. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. morning. I want to welcome all the visitors we have this morning. Uh, we know uh, Ken did a great job this morning even though he had no sleep this week. So just imagine what he can do with a full week of sleep. Um, I want to welcome, welcome you back anytime you have the chance. Um, and there was 318 here in worship this morning. 318. <clears throat> Miss Peggy uh, Roten is still in the North Mississippi Medical Center in Tupelo. But she's doing better. She'd be trans, uh, transported to the uh, landmark nursing home for rehab starting tomorrow. Um, the ladies who would like to help with the baby shower in honor of Lauren Brumley are asked to meet in the little chapel this morning after worship. See Bridget Williams if you want to help. Uh, the landmark nursing home devotionals today at 4 o'clock. Um, visitation team assignments are available on the visitor, visitor station in front of the stairs in the foyer, so please pick them up today. There's a new church directory. If you uh, haven't filled out the form on the sheet on the table in the foyer, uh, do that today. And if you uh, want to submit or get a picture made, talk to Larry Morgan today. <clears throat> My favorite uh, thing we do here at church is men's breakfast. It's next Sunday. Um, August the 6th, starting at 8 o'clock. It's SALT Team 2, so if you uh, would see Guy Gardner or Jerry Barrett, uh, they'll help if you want to help with that. Uh, Cox Boulevard singing is set for next for Friday, August the 11th. We're singing, uh, singing from 7 to midnight, so the bus will leave here at 5.15 and return around 2 a.m. 
when y'all get back, y'all just come to the house. We've got a six-month-old that'll be up about at that time. So, um, the sign-up sheet to go with, to ride the bus is that is in the foyer as well. The youth, uh, some youth announcements. There is a singing in the park tonight. I lied to Miss Jimmy. There is one. Uh, we're going to leave after church tonight to go to that. Uh, so I'll get y'all get some more sleep in today if y'all want to. We'll leave as soon as church is over tonight and go to that. It is at Winfield. Next week, the 6th, is the last singing in the park. It's going to be at Maywood. Uh, they're going to do a devotional at 6 o'clock and singing at 7.30. They're going to tear, start tearing down the pavilion next, the week after that and uh, put in a big new one with chairback seats and everything else. So they're doing a fundraiser to get some donations for that. And then uh, there's a canoe trip planned for the youth on August the 19th. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet on the table. I need to know by next week if you're going or not so I can call and make sure we get enough canoes for everybody. And lastly, uh, on this sheet, uh, Northeast Night is August 13th. Uh, it's a big deal. So uh, if you want to help with that, see Bo. Also, I want to make sure we remember uh, Bennett Gino, Cooper Farr, Julia Berry, and Sarah Kate English for their baptisms at camp. Make sure you give them a hug today and uh, also Brad. If there's not any more announcements, we'll have our closing prayer. Let's pray. And Father, thank you, for staying. Thank, thank you for all the many blessings you give us. Um, we thank you for this church and what it means to all of us here. We ask that you be with us as we go out through our day and our week. And be shining lights towards you, Lord. And we ask that you be with all of us and keep us safe. Thank you so much for sending your son down across for our sins. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.